Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We are here once again talking to y'all just after the conclusion of the latest UFC event in Las Vegas, Nevada, UFC Vegas 61, UFC Fight Night, Dern versus Jan, UFC Zuckerberg, SC1, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it was an all right card. It was okay. It, it had a great start and then it ended on a down note. And that's never really what you... And it wasn't like... John on Dern wasn't bad, but the Barcelos, Brown, Jaunon wins all in a row were like the three slowdown fights of this card came came, came right at the end. Yeah, uh, kind of lost some steam. We had a lot of finishes early on. Yeah. But... Uh... Yeah, just closing out the card with three straight decisions. Uh, just, you know, not, yeah. not, the, not the best. Yeah, not the best. Although that main... So first of all, I, I think first and foremost, we got to jump in and talk about... Um, did you think that... Did you expect Xiaonan to win that fight on the card? Uh, no. Um, I'll say this. I scored it for... Uh, I scored it a draw. 47-47. I gave uh, Jan the first, the third, and the fourth, yep. just regular 10-9s. I gave the second round 10-9 Dern, and I gave the final round 10-8 Dern because uh, how dominant she was with her uh, positional control as mm -hmm. well as dropping a ton of strikes also. Yeah. They weren't I... the biggest strikes, but they yeah. were more than what Jan was doing. Enough enough to be a 10-8 in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would have had no trouble honestly giving Dern a 10-8 in both the second and the fifth. Um, I think I was even maybe more likely to give her a 10-8 for the second than the fifth, but that, I don't know. Like, my, my you know, that, that kind of thing is, is not that important. Uh, they were both incredibly dominant rounds for her, and I would love to see that kind of grappling dominance be given that kind of recognition. You know, I'm the first one to be like, if you're just controlling your opponent, that should be about the thinnest margin to victory for a 10-9 to me. Like, you are riding the rails of, if your opponent does anything to combat your control, you might lose that round. But at the same time, then, if the person in control doing the grappling is also doing using that those grappling positions, using that control to be otherwise dominant, to get to submissions, to land strikes, to pass guard, to pass to dominant positions, to really take advantage of everything they've got, then it should be like also a pretty clear avenue to getting a 10-8 as well. Like you can literally shut somebody out of the entire fight. Oh yeah. You know? So yeah. I did not think that judges would give Dern a 10-8 for either round because um, we have swung back to arcane 10-8 justifications. We had this glory period for like two years in uh, like 2018 to 2020 or so where judges were just like, oh yeah, anything that's dominant can be a 10-8 round. And I was, I'm sitting here like, yes, this is beautiful, wonderful, perfect. 
We are, yeah. we are expressing a difference in 10-9 to 10-8, and now it's just like, no, 10-8 rounds don't exist. Yeah, I think only one one judge actually gave up the, the one of the 10-8 rounds. And it's kind of sad, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So. It's like a, it's a weird, a weird regress. Yep. I don't know what the reason is for it or how it even I, I think it happened, was a, but I think the at least the thing I've heard, the rumor I've heard, I don't want to be one to just stand on hearsay here, but it would make sense. Is that I think the the, the rumor I heard was that it um Dana White really hated it. He hated all the ten eight rounds and he petitioned hard to really? Yeah, to have that course corrected. Wow. That's a little shocking. Uh, is it? I mean, it's it's a very Dana White thing to do. Is it? Yeah, he's the one who petitioned hard to get the the knees to the the like the three point stance thing changed and stuff like that. You know that the UFC tries; they are very heavy on trying to mold the sport to fit their needs. They're not ones to just sit around and like let some dudes in, in civic government try to change MMA. But I feel like the 10 eights that only, that helps the sport. That hurts it. That's your opinion. That's my opinion. Doesn't mean it's his opinion. Well, either way, I think there should have been a draw. Yeah. It sucks that uh dominant rounds like that aren't scored 10, eight is kind of unfortunate for Dern. Yep. Um, I guess if you scored that second round 10, eight also, then you probably had her winning the fight. Uh, like I said, I I would have loved to see them both scored ten eights, but yeah, there was a, there's an argument that Dern won this fight that she lost three rounds and got two ten eights and should win, and I'd be okay with that honestly. Yeah, it's, I mean, but you know, I thought it was a draw. Um, sure. I don't know. That's it's it's a tough, sticky fight. It wasn't a great fight. No. The the rounds that Dern wasn't winning were not very fun to watch at all. Yeah. Because her striking is still absolutely miserable. I was talking to our producer before we get started here, and she's like, what is up with, like, Dern's, you know, g- game? Like, why is it so unchanged? And that's just, you know, my quick and easy answer on that is just she's got whatever Ben Askren has, like – Whatever, whatever was in Ben Askren's water, it found her way its way into Dern's. She's just never going to be a competent striker. No, but like the thing is, you don't even have to be a competent striker when your jujitsu is that good. I mean, look what Damian Maya did. Yeah, but- he was able to like find a way to use his strikes in a functional way to get the fight to the ground. Oh, he went full K one Maya there for a minute, you know. Yeah. yeah, the thing with Maya is that he actually he may never have been a fast striker. He may never have been a hard puncher. He may never have been a de- defensively deft striker, but he did actually learn all the fundamentals of like, oh, here's the proper way to move my feet. Here's the proper way to throw a one-two. Here's the proper way to throw a hook. So that he, when he got stranded on his feet, he could go out. You know, there was a whole debate. I remember before he fought Ben Askren, somebody was like, "Oh, is Ben Askren really a worse striker than Damian Maya?" And I just turned around and I was just like, "Yes, yes, of course <laughs> he is. Damian Maya has fundamentals. 
And then we saw the fight, and it was like, oh, Ben Askren's throwing a lot of nonsense out there for a while. And then, you know, Maya just starts tuning him up because Maya actually knows how to. He he learned how to how to have at least fundamentals in place. Right. Dern and Askren are in very much the same boat of it. Just seems like no matter how much time they work on it, no matter how much they spend working on these things, it just seems like there is a fundamental misunderstanding of how their body works. Dern was every time she took two steps and missed a strike, she was so far out of position and so far off balance that it is kind of a minor miracle that she did not get you know, dropped hard several times in this fight. Yeah, she's got a chin. That's for she's, sure. She's got a chin and she's got the self-belief to keep pushing. You got to give her that. But she definitely looks very regional on the feet. I'll say yeah. that. Yeah. She definitely doesn't look like a UFC fighter in the striking department. But no. like, but like even even with that, like you don't have to be this phenomenal striker when no. you're that much of an ace with your ground game. I mean, like look at look at what Hoyce Gracie used to do. Sure. He'd come out with that like janky front kick, like that cheap yep. almost the Gracie that, stomp. Yeah, that's that's like a, a all it does is give you momentum for a double leg. Uh-huh. Like he knew how to get the fight down. And Dern, yeah. she struggles with takedowns. Yeah. Like I don't she there there's there's like a disconnect between using your hands to set up your takedowns and it's just not there for her. Yeah. She'll like she'll punch her way into clinching range, but then we'll just kind of not clinch up or not shoot off of that. It's like she's either striking or she's grappling, and there's really no in between. Mm-hmm. It's definitely true. I don't yeah, I don't know exactly what the growth in her game is going to look like. I mean, it, you know, I'm I'm sure she's going to keep going. I don't expect her to be leaving MMA for any time. She's been an active competing athlete for her entire life. It would be kind of odd if she ever if she just decided to walk away from it. Um but yeah, like it's been she's been in the game like 6 years now with MMA and you kind of expect her you expect at some point soon to be seeing what is more or less the final complete product, you know, or at least her, her very peak. She's getting into her late twenties, early thirties here. She's been doing this a while. She should be hitting her stride right now. And her stride, I mean, we're still arguing. We were still just making an argument that she might've won this fight. She is good enough at jujitsu that she really doesn't need a lot. She needs almost nothing as a striker and a wrestler to still be a competitive fighter at a high level. But there are major gaps missing. And yeah, the, the wrestling, I mean, more important than the striking, it really would just be like, she's got to figure out some way to, to get the fight to the ground safely. It isn't just marching straight into punches or clinging to a single leg and not having really any clue how to complete it from, from the cling. Like at least at least Paul Craig has the the sort of um what's the word? Just like the 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 true gumption the, the true jujitsu spirit to jump guard. He, like, he why doesn't why doesn't Dern jump guard? Yeah, that I mean she could take a real lesson from Craig and just go the 
every time you touch me, I am going to fall over route, you know? Yeah, I don't, it's it's a little odd because she's so dominant. Yeah. On the ground, always able to sweep, always able to threaten with submissions, able to land ground strikes. Like, why yep. not just go jump guard on everybody? Yeah. Well, all things considered, and all, yeah, it's not really a fight or a performance. I was going to try to make some like, oh, you know, Yan Janan, she got the win, looks good and all that. But it, it's not really a fight that made either fighter look good. You know, you don't come away with that from it with the sense that Yan Nan is more of a contender from a an inability to hurt Dern badly enough to keep her off of her and b an inability to stop Dern from suckering her into a ground battle that she absolutely clearly lost every time and then you know you're looking at the top of that division and you've still got you know Carla Sparza up there who worked Yan Nan. And uh, Rose Nami Yunus and other fighters like that who are capable in all kinds of areas. Yeah, definitely not the best. I mean, this this fight was pretty lame. I got to be honest. Not <laughs> not a ton of fun. And it's really hard for me when I when I'm watching fighters who just aren't really on the same level in certain areas as I guess like the baseline UFC fighter. And, like, watching Dern just out there flopping around on the feet, like, it's tough to watch. Because I know how great she is in one specific area to see yeah. her. To, and, and, like, I feel like, at least with wrestlers, like, when, whenever we've had, like, highly accomplished wrestlers come into the sport, they've been able to develop maybe, like, a big overhand right. Or it just seemed like the it was it was easier for them to pick up on the striking element as opposed to um let's yeah. say jujitsu players who just for whatever reason i don't know well, it I seems mean, like they don't pick up the striking as easily that's a lot of jujitsu players who have as well but yeah it, it it's i think there's just some grapplers out there it the the striking game just never works for them they can never get a sense of distance down and of timing down when they don't when they're in doing something where they're not going to be constantly connected to their opponent and i think dern might just be one of those people where it's just never going to fighting is never going to make sense for her when she's not grappling yeah oh well she's still fun yeah she's still usually Like you yeah. said, when she was winning the rounds, it was fun. Yeah, she when she's winning, it, she's putting on absolute clinics. It's beautiful to watch. And when she's losing, you're just like, this is barely acceptable, like UFC level MMA. Yeah. All right. Uh, that brings us to our co-main event. Well, I guess I was gonna say, yeah. What does that set Yan Zhao up for? You know. I, the thing is that, like, it doesn't make me feel like she's any close to a title shot. Marina Rodriguez seems like she'll be out there in front of her. And for Janan, she won. But it's just kind of whoever the next other top contender up near the top of that division. Let me see. who. It's uh, either Rose or Wei Li. Yeah, she'll she'll have to fight Rose Namajunas or Wei Li Zhang. Or, well, Wei Li Zhang is already getting a fight with Carlos Barza, so maybe you do Yan Zhao Nan versus Rose Namajunas. Yeah. 
That so. seems like the logical step. Yeah. All right. That brings us to our co-main event, Randy Brown, Francisco Trinaldo. And in a similar way, kind of a fight that didn't leave either fighter looking... I mean, for Trinaldo, it's impressive. He looks good because he's 44 and he's <laughs> right. third round. Yeah. You know? There's, that's, that is a victory in and of itself. But for Randy Brown, like, dominant in the first round. Mm, squeak. <laughs> He took the second. It was it wasn't close. I don't want to say he squeaked it out, but it was a good bounce back round for Trinaldo. He fought his way into the fight that round, and then Brown just kind of got he got taken down once off a low or he got chopped down off a low kick, and gave up the rest of that round on his back in the third. So, um, not a great, not a not a great. It wasn't like something that's going to make him stand out from no. anybody in the division. Yeah, he. I mean, guess credit to him afterward. He's like, I don't care about rankings and whatever. I just want to fight and get checks. And it's like, well, that's good because you're not going to be ranked. Right. And you probably won't. You might not even get a ranked opponent off this. Um, <laughs> it's hard to look good against Trinaldo, though, to be fair. Yeah. Like he's just so crafty and, and so is. tough and durable, and you know that southpaw stance is hard to deal with. Like, I guess he did the best he could. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't really know. Like, what you know? I mean, it just kind of, sort of keeps sticking him. Like, I don't know. Maybe you could fight Jake Matthews or something. Another dude who's just been hanging around, like right in that borderline top fifteen area forever. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it just doesn't seem it doesn't build any excitement for whatever Randy Brown's next fight was. And for Trinaldo, like I say, he's forty four. Any any him, I, every win for him is an ex, it is like amazing and even just like getting through fights and winning rounds in them is to me, like I, as a fan, I'm just like, yeah, that's basically a win for me as, as a Trinaldo fan. Yeah, for sure. He's not, he didn't get sparked. Yep. Um, he did get dropped in the first round, but still, still as tough as ever. So yep. he doesn't look fragile or at all or, or no. anything like that. And yeah, it gives, it gives uh, us aging guys hope. That, that's right. You know, if he can do it in his 40s, we can at least get up and go, you know, run around the block or something. Yeah, that's right. What a role model. <laughs> All right. That uh, that brings us to a Bantamweight bout. Hani Barcelos, Trevin Jones. And, um, I mean, I knew this was a bad matchup for Trevin Jones when I looked at it. But, man, did Hani Barcelos make this a bad matchup for Trevin Jones. Yeah, he fought a really smart fight. He fought a perfect fight. Like, he got yeah. two 10-8s from one judge, and that's how I scored it, too. I would have given him absolutely two 10-8 rounds in a three-round fight. Yeah, that's... um. It was kind of weird that they're handing out 10-8s here, but not in the main event. Right. It's a little weird. But yeah. I think he definitely deserved it, though. I mean, yeah. this was a complete shutout. Trevin Jones really didn't have a a moment in this fight. No. 
too active for Barcelos. Could match him everywhere, out wrestle him, out grapple him, and like when you just have an opponent who is as physical as you, as as powerful as you, and is better than you everywhere. Like it's just a rough night. Yeah, I mean, it really had um, Trevin in his shell. Like it seemed mm-hmm. like he didn't. He was always worried about what was coming at him. That he never, he never even had time to to develop his own sort of strategy offensively. It was all just trying to stay defensively responsible, whether whether it's trying to avoid the takedown because he knows it's coming or avoiding the strikes on the feet. But either way, he was reacting to everything. And then once he was down, I mean, he just didn't have any answers. Yeah. So just not not um, not well equipped for this sort of matchup, for sure. Nope. Great way to get uh, Barcelos back lined up for that top, you know, like the the 13, 14, 15 to 20 level of the Bantamweight division, though. Get him lined up for another high-profile, fun action fight. You know, I, I'd love to see him fight somebody like, uh, you know, Jack Shore or Adrian Yanez. One of those guys. Those are all fun options. Yeah. Keep him right in that area because he's clearly got all the talent. He's got all the the well-roundedness. He's got all the athleticism to be a high-level bantamweight. He's just, you know, Victor Henry put on the fight of his life against Hani Barcelos to beat him last time out. And then I would argue that, uh, you know, Barcelos didn't lose that bout that uh, went against him with Timur Valiev, but it was a close fight in Valiev. He's one of those dudes who's a lot better than his UFC run ended up making him look. Yeah, always a tough out. Yeah. All right. That brings us to featherweight bout Sadiq Youssef, Don Shanus. And man, you get Youssef talked about it afterward. This was a sort of high risk, low reward fight for him. But if you get put in that kind of position, this is absolutely the way to take care of it and turn it into nothing but a win because Yusuf made sure that it was absolutely clear that your average run-of-the-mill featherweight, even like Chainus is not a bad fighter. Your average run-of-the-mill yeah. featherweight is not competing with him right now. Yeah, this was quick. This was uh, like... This was only 30 seconds. It was like, 30 seconds, and it, and it didn't feel like, oh, he just grabbed something or he caught him. It was 30 seconds, and he wrecked Shanus in 30 seconds. Yeah, he, like, instantly grabbed that tie clinch and just started piercing the midsection with those knees. Those were brutal. Those yeah. were really brutal. And Shanus was like, I have to get this fight to the ground. Mm-hmm. It's like desperation takedown time because – I can't. I cannot exist in the clinch with this guy. And and he even tried to. Janus even tried to like rip to the body with punches. Yep. And it's like, dude, you, that is not a fair trade. No. <laughs> you do not no, want to trade a uh, Sadiq use of knee for a Don Shamus punch. You just no. don't. And uh, I was a little surprised that Yusuf jumped the guillotine, but hey. The beautiful thing worked. is though. He jumped the he jumped the guillotine. We've talked about this a lot about like you know you never want to see a fighter where the guillotine is their first takedown defense. Yusuf did it perfectly right because he actually stuffed the shot first, yeah, and got his hands in position and then jumped the guillotine. He didn't just jump it 
like, oh, I'm just going to catch this midair as you're coming in. He stopped that shot. He did not have to go to the ground at all. And he got his hands in position and then he jumped the guillotine and then it was it was a wrap. Like that is the perfect way to go about it. No, it was fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. And he and and an excellent recognition of just the scenario and what's going on in front of him. Like the dude was hurt. Like the yep. dude just ate some serious knees to the body, shooting bad shots, leaving his neck out there. Stuff the shot, grab the neck, jump the guard. 30 seconds, man. Yeah. Called out uh, Korean Zombie after the fight. It's a great call out. He might even get that fight. I don't love it for Korean Zombie, but if you're if you're a fighter trying to get a profile high profile fight, like that's the kind of call to make, you know. Yeah, the zombie broke all of our hearts with his little speech after yeah. after uh, coming up short to Volkanovski. I, was, yeah. I, was a little, I feel like I'm going to be sad for him from now on, no matter who he faces. Yeah, I kind of I, I admit I, I would rather see Sadiq Yusuf face uh, Calvin Cater. Ooh, isn't he booked? Is he? He's uh, coming off that loss to Josh Emmett. He might have been booked. And I didn't recall seeing him booked, but let me check here. I can, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Oh, he is. You're right. He's booked against Arnold Allen. Damn. Ooh, that's a good, good, good fight. That's a good fight. I can't, I can't, can't go against that. So Sadiq Yusuf might get his wish that, uh, that chance on Jung fight. Yeah. Uh, I honestly I don't know if Zombie will even take it. I feel like he's in a weird place right now. He's got some healing to do. Yeah, I heard somebody uh who is uh from Korea in lives in Korea talking about the rumors are that uh Korean Zombie wants to fight in early 2023 in, as a retirement fight in Korea in like the UFC might be going back to South Korea. Okay. So. Maybe maybe he can do um the winner of Bryce Mitchell and uh, Ivoyev. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be, you know, the only problem for Yusuf on that is going to be that both those guys are already ranked above him. So you can bet that the winner is not going to be eager to be like, oh, yeah, no, I'll fight down. You know, he might be able to fight. He might be able to get a fight with the loser of it, which would still be awesome, though. Either way. Yeah. I can't see Bryce Mitchell winning and being like, nah, I won't fight. I won't fight someone. Yeah, who knows? I don't. I don't. I don't want to try to guess at what Bryce Mitchell's thinking at any given time. No, no that's not a good. That's a that's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down, Zay. Yeah, it's lead me straight to some weird QAnon nonsense. All right, let's get to a lightweight bout. Mike Davis, Vyacheslav Borshev. Borshow, I think is how they pronounce it. I still don't really understand that pronunciation, but that's John Anik, and I trust John Anik. If he's saying Vyacheslav Barshov, then I better say Vyacheslav Barshov. I was um, going to say Slava Claus, but yeah, go ahead. Slava Claus, yeah. Uh, and this fight, you know what? I'm just going to say good on Mike Davis, because this fight was clearly set up for him to lose. And all the right things happened for him to lose. He came out. He whooped Borshov in the first round. 
and he got really tired, and Borshov did not, and was starting to piece him up, and all the striking in the next two rounds went his way, and Davis just... He he saw the takedown game that Borshov did not have an answer for, and he rode with it, and he took the whole fight with it, and more power to win. Yeah, smart. Smart yeah. performance. High five you. Yeah, that's, you know, like, you went out there, you you had the action war with this dude for a round, and you couldn't knock him out. And he's still there, and he's fresher than you are. Like, just pick the easy option to get the win. And Davis did it, and that's it's good to see out of him, you know? Fight yeah, smart, get the wins. He devastated Slava Claus with that knee in that first round from the yeah. clinch. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he almost completely melted him with that. Yeah. Davis fought smart here. He was in, yep. he, he, he was in some bad positions, but he always found a way to exit those positions and to get into the dominant position. Yep. Just very intelligent. Yeah, very smart fight. Very good fight for him. A lot of dudes at lightweight that he he can be a fun opponent for. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Terrence McKinney. Just be a car crash for a round. Brilliant. That is brilliant. Right? Mm. I can't see that going the distance. No, no. Neither neither of those men are made to fight to round two. Right. All right. That brings us to the fight of the night. No, well, let's see. Did oh, that's right. They they pushed it to a catch weight before the bout. So thankfully, it still can win fight of the night. Can still win a bonus. I have to assume it did. It would be absolute highway robbery if it did not. Daniel Santos, John Castaneda, and man, this fight was just awesome because. Castaneda absolutely beat Daniel Santos's ass for four minutes and like 30 seconds. And even by the end of the first round, Santos was starting to build momentum, starting to turn the tide. And Santos came out there. I don't know, you know, like there is something to be said. We we all hate to we hate to see it. We hate to hear it. We don't like it. There, you know, fighters going out there and like leaving their bodies behind in practice. You know, sparring heavy rounds, tons of hard sparring, all that. It's not good for you, but there is something to be said for the way it conditions a fighter. You know. Oh yeah, getting used to that sort of fire. I mean, look at the shooter box guys, like the yeah. original shooter box guys, like your Vanderlei yeah. Silvas, your um, your Hula brothers, right? Yeah. Shogun and the Ninja was high for all. Anderson of them. Silva, Anderson yeah. Silva also came from shooter box, and even like uh, you know that kind of followed Rafael Cordero to Kings MMA. They mm-hmm. spar really hard there also, and yeah. their fighters are usually pretty freaking sharp. Benio Darius, Giga Chikadze, like yep. nice. even Calvin Gaslam when he wants to be. They, it, it does not, it has a deleterious effect long term, but it makes you used to being going through hell in a fight and being able to just pour it on and pour it on and pour it on nonstop. And Santos has that because he was, 
I mean, he spent, he didn't just get beat for a round. He spent like two thirds of that round doing the chicken dance. Man, I don't know how he ate those head kicks. Yeah. That was miraculous. And not even going down, just wobbling. Yeah. Like it was, <laughs> it was a hell of a performance from Santos. Great win for him. Really rough loss for Castaneda. You got to be, he's got to be just thinking like, man, what could I have done? What could I possibly have brought to that fight that would have won it? Just more cardio, I guess. He, he kind of dumped it all there in the first. Trying yeah. To finish. Yeah. But that said, I mean, what, what Santos was able to bring to that was pretty miraculous too. Like, yeah, it's just. Well, hey, when you're fighting for uh, in front of Zuckerberg, I guess you gotta. That's the right. A-game. You're fighting, you know, for for America's biggest oligarch. You know, <laughs> you gotta bring you gotta bring that metaverse action. Man, that's so weird. I, I mean, I I have to assume that this is gonna be repackaged into like a metaverse experience. Is like part of the plan here. <laughs> Probably, I don't know. But I don't know. Yeah, it was really weird to have just Mark Zuckerberg and his wife sitting cage side. And then the UFC trolling people by being like, Zuckerberg is all of us right now. And he's like cheering alone. You're like, (laughs) the only one of us right now. Because you all didn't let anybody else in but him. Yeah, that's kind of, it's weird. It's It's heebie-jeebies. Yeah. All right, let's talk about this heavyweight bout right before it. Ilya Latifi, Alexi Olynyk, and, um, you know, credit to Latifi. He had had the fight that he was always going to have against a guy where Ilya Latifi's kind of fight is actually Alexi Olynyk's best kind of fight, too. So... He really just kind of had to go right into the teeth of Alanik's game for three rounds and ride him out. Yeah, uh, Latifi's a, a very intelligent grappler. He's always had that in his back pocket, and yep. he was wise enough to mind his P's and Q's on the ground and didn't make any silly mistakes to get submitted. Doesn't have a neck. Did what he had to. He does that helps a lot not having a neck. Not having a neck. I don't having... even... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Not um. Olenek, he didn't even get a chance to really lock no. up any submissions. He didn't. Latifi just did an excellent job of just being positionally aware and, and stopping problems before they even happened. Yep. And then in open space, I mean, he's just a heavier puncher, craftier puncher, the, yeah. you know, slightly younger fighter out there. He does look, he, he's still, he, I mean, I, I realize this is probably going to be his last fight because he very much sounded like a man who had planned on retiring and then is there in the cage with the mic in front of him and just cannot make himself say the words. Right. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, you know, he, he really heavyweight has not looked like his division. Like he, no. he was a, he, he was a boulder out there. Absolute earth elemental, Gollum crafted from clay, thick as thick as a yard of lard. Um, but he looked really uncomfortable with the entire every fight he's had at heavyweight. 
he has looked incredibly uncomfortable with the idea of fighting other humans that are as big as he is. So I'm not really surprised that this would be the end of it. That he, he got a win. He's had two wins back to back now, and he's just kind of looking at me like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to do this. This isn't fun anymore. Yeah, no, I get it. He's 40. And for me, one of my favorite things is to see guys walk away from the sport on a win and on yeah. their own terms. Like, there's nothing worse than guys fighting past their shelf life, which is the norm. That's mm-hmm. like kind of the industry standard. And I hate it. So if he walks away here, hey. Yeah, more power to him. If the UFC signs him to another four fight deal, I wouldn't be surprised. Either. Oh no, I would not be surprised at all if six months from now he starts thinking, you know what, I like fighting. I'm going to go back to doing that, and he gets another contract from the UFC, or even somewhere else. Goes yeah. over to Bellator, and we see him over in ACA or in some like, you know, Brave or something. Yeah, like Brave or something like that. I would not be at all surprised. All right, that brings us to a light heavy or a lightweight bout: Joe Kim Silva, Jesse Ronson, and um, just no breaks for my man Jesse Ronson. I have a soft spot for him. I don't really know why. I mean, I do know why. He's got this really funky style that I want to see work, but it is a like you are walking an infinite line of danger at all times kind of style, where it's lots of hand trapping and countering and not a lot of head movement. And um, yeah, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. So <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. It uh, is. He got sparked with those, those jump knees, those flying knees just I mean, had his number. It was a brilliant performance from Silva on that account. He, Silva's always been a fantastic athlete who seems like a guy who could do anything in the cage. So it's really cool to see him actually like going out late career and being like, yeah, I've changed my camp up. I'm learning some new stuff. And then he comes out here and he just like switches stances and hit jump, hits jump knees out of nowhere. And it's just like, man, this is why athleticism is cheating. Cause you can be, yeah. you know, he's, he's what he's 33. Okay. He's still actually pretty young, but he's in his he's, prime. He's 33. He's, he's 12 years into his MMA career and he can just be like, yeah, I decided to learn some new stuff and here it is. I you mean, know. we've seen that before. I remember, I remember watching Vitor Belfort like disappearing and then returning with like this wicked Muay Thai yeah. game. And it's like, what? That's, that's why I say it's uh, having that kind of athleticism is cheating. You know, Vitor could do it too. Like these, these guys out there who are insanely coordinated insanely fast and really strong and they can just be like yeah i just learned this the other day and now i do that see and like and then with that in mind you look at mckenzie dern and you're like how yeah like you're obviously insanely capable in this area yeah but then like you add in the strikes and it's just night and day there's no it's not coming up at the same not even remotely close to the level of her grappling yeah yeah People built different, unfortunately. Now, if we weren't, then I could be out there winning all those fights. And... Well, I hear Zuckerberg doesn't have an opponent coming up. Yeah, that's right. Me and the Zuck are going to throw down. That That's a fight. That, whoever takes that fight can surely win it. You ever imagine like somebody getting mount on Zuckerberg and they're not just being like getting shot with a trank gun immediately? Oh, they'll probably be drugged before the fight even happens. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's <laughs> nobody's gonna land a punch on that man. No. 
his training partners all have to be like, you know, just out there throwing training, being like, oh man, wow, I can't even come back at that. Wow, you're so dominant. How did this happen? Yeah. I don't I, I don't know if I could resist kicking him in the head. Right. <laughs> I don't think I could resist. Nobody uh, would blame you. Nobody would blame you. I'd have like a little camera set up in the corner and yeah. everything. Yeah. And then I'd disappear. Yeah. Then you, we'd never see you again. Not by choice. No. End up in a barrel at the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Brendan Allen, Christoph Yatko, and I... Man, for one minute, I felt like a complete idiot because Christoph Yatko came out. I think it was a caught kick. He got a takedown and he got on top of Allen. And I'm thinking like, and I even was typing like when I'm running B2, I'm like, man, this is a terrible spot for Brendan Allen. If there's one area where Yatko is really strong, it is a top position grappler. And then... Allen went out there and he he hit that damn sweep and then got a takedown of his own afterward and that was it. Like, what a performance from Brendan Allen. Because, like, Yatko outgrappled Talos Latis. Yeah, a past his prime Talos Latis. Sure, but still, a past his prime... Like, Brendan Allen has never been Talos Latis on the mat. No, but um, I would say Brendan's Brendan Allen's grappling is a strong suit. It is. He's a very strong grappler. I'm just saying, beating Christoph, getting Christoph Yatko on top of you, and then still out grappling him—that's really impressive. Yeah, I mean it's definitely impressive. I feel like it's kind of more expected as far as I see it, though. Yeah, I think well, if, if Yatko was Yatko was grappling here, he was going to lose. That's fair. I mean, just I haven't seen Yatko get on top of many people and then not be able to to win that fight, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. But I mean, like, who are we talking about here? Well, Talos Latis, for one. But... Yeah, I just, I just thought Yako was going to use his long strikes, like jabs and and just yeah. just straights to to win on points. Like he, I, he beat and firmly out grappled uh, Gerald Mearshart too. You know, I don't even remember that fight. It just happened, like right in yeah. the middle of Gerald yeah. Mearshart's fantastic. I mean, that's the thing with Yako is that he's a very safe fighter. He he produces no matter what position he's in, he doesn't produce a lot of anything. So it's very much a like you you never remember nobody remembers a Christoph Yatko fight. No, unless it's like a spectacular loss. Yeah, and uh, so it was always going to have to be like, can he lock? I mean, I picked Allen for this reason. I was like, can he lock down Brendan Allen for three rounds? Probably not. Alan will probably do more. He'll probably be more aggressive, figure things out. But I'm still really impressed that he just swept in and then dominated him. Yeah, it was it was um, it was phenomenal. Excellent yeah. grappling. Put him in the gift wrap. Yep. That was uh, that's always it's always sweet. It's such a silly move to see it work at the highest level. Is mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. It's it's a fantastic move. I love it. And. You know, using that to transition to the back and then get to the RNC 
it was just solid, yeah. like very technical performance from Brendan and Allen. Then he called out Anthony Hernandez and Andre Muniz. And man, if those are not both amazing fights. And I really want to see Brendan Allen versus Andre Muniz. Yeah, tons of fun. In Brazil, even, he called for it. That would probably be crazy. That would be a crazy... Most Allen fights are crazy, though. Yeah. In some way or another. Dude is a ton of fun. So, great performance from him. Way to make Chris Yatko an interesting fight. Way to make a Chris Yatko fight interesting, so... Yeah. All right. That brings to a catchweight bout. Chelsea Chandler, Julia Stolyarenko, and... uh, Chandler looked good. She looked better than I thought she would. She looked composed. She went right into the teeth of Stolyarenko's offense. And the moment Stolyarenko didn't get that first arm bar, Chandler just started busting her up. And uh, yeah. strong performance from her. Yeah, Chandler mugged her. Yeah. <laughs> she just, she seemed more big, she seemed bigger, more physically imposing, just big sistered her yep. quite frankly still in yeah. she like you said she had her little arm bar attempt there in the beginning but after that all that got shut down and i mean every and i mean everywhere like chandler was landing yeah. the better the better shots on the feet um she did a, a great job dealing with the desperation takedowns and uh once she got full mount she just kept punching until the referee said to stop yep fantastic stoppage Yep. Great, great showing for Chandler in her debut. And for Stolyarenko, it's, you know, she really felt like she'd found something for a moment with that Jessica Rose Clark fight. And like, you know, maybe even with the Alexis Davis fight, it started to feel like she was just putting at least a little bit of something together. And now it just seems like she's kind of right back to square one. Like she looked shook up in that fight. So it was a bad loss for her especially to somebody that raw in Chandler, who's, you know, this is her sixth pro fight. Like, you don't want to be looking that out. Of, you don't want to be looking that outclassed. Yeah, no kidding. And Chandler, I think she wants to fight at 45. She seems like she's kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah. I think she's like, probably just a natural 145-er, but that division just doesn't really exist. So she's just going to have to try to cut weight and try to make the fights and see what she can do because UFC's not going to make a lot of allowances for her up at 145. No. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Guido Canetti, Randy Costa. Surprise of the night for me, honestly. Um, Yeah. Costa, I really figured, like, I know – you know, I, I always knew he, before he, when he got to the UFC, I was like, man, this dude is wild and he's headed for some rough losses if he doesn't iron this style out. But he picked up a couple big wins. He was gaining momentum. He's a lot of fun. People were like, yeah, you know, Randy Costa's getting something together. And then it's just been a slide. And this feels like the end of it because Guido Canetti is a dude that if you can just stay in there for five minutes, he usually self destructs. And he's 12, 14 years older than Randy Costa. And Randy Costa just got run over. Yeah, I think literally. Like, I think yeah. he got pushed over and then yeah. got his, his back taken. And and that was that. Yeah. 
rough, rough lot of rough outing for Randy Costa. Really fun for Guido Canetti, though, because you know, 42-year-olds should not be doing that at 135 pounds. As much as Massa Ronduba shouldn't be doing that at 170 pounds. At 135, like your mid-30s get old at 135. You know? Oh, yeah. This is um, a lot of old guys on this card. Yeah. With all due respect. Big night for the old dudes. Yeah. That's a... I mean, I think uh, the heavyweight fight was 40-year-old versus 40-year-old, but yeah. other than that, I think uh, the, the elderly gentleman fared rather well, except for the... Uh, well, Trinaldo, well, I, I said it's still a win for Trinaldo to like go out there and win the last round. Yeah, more of a victory. As a 44-year-old welterweight, you're just not supposed to be that old and fight. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. No, except for heavyweights. Yeah, even then, even even heavyweight at forty four, you are you are pushing it. You know. Like Alexia Linick, he is he is running up against it and he has one win in his in the last two years. Yeah. It's still uh Hey, we got a fight of the night. Yeah. Nice. Santos Castaneda did win fight of the night, as expected. So good for them. All right. On that note, though, we're going to wrap this up. You can find me on Twitter at these anytime. You can find Eddie on Twitter at the Eddie Mercado. You can find both of us over at bloodyelbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast. Somebody presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. We will be back in uh, two, two weeks. weeks time again. We've got another week off coming up here. So we'll be back in two weeks time for UFC fight night. Grasso versus Araujo. Uh, which, uh, right, <laughs> looks like an okay card. Yeah, I'm not holding my breath on that one. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you again soon. Adios. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive fighter interviews, show money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not the Face podcast, and radio style play by play for every UFC pay per view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>